Good, well, welcome, good morning, lovely to see you all. Um, let's uh, just open in a word of prayer, uh, also just give thanks to the Lord for his provision and his goodness and for the collection that we took, um, and also that he will continue to grow us and shape us, so let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather this morning, we thank you for the opportunity to sing songs of praise and just glorifying your name through song and word and hopefully deed as well. So, Father, we thank you for uh, just your provision, your abundance of provision for us, uh, not only as a church but as individuals in every small way, um, in every aspect of how you provide. And, Father, we thank you for the collection that we were able to take. We thank you that, yeah, Father, that uh, we can return in some ways just a portion of what you've already given to us. And we pray that uh, you'll use it for your glory, for your uh, kingdom. And, Father, we pray also that you go before us as we turn to your word now, as we reflect on uh, this passage and also this time of year. I really pray that we may sit and think and meditate and weigh up uh, what this time of year really means and what it stands for. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so as uh, Sean read, um, we are looking at Genesis 6, uh, verses 1 to 8. And uh, the reason why we're beginning here, we are starting the Christmas series uh, just as we ramp up toward the Christmas uh, talks and all of those things, especially for Christmas uh, in two weeks. Is it two weeks' time? This year has flown by way too quickly. <laughs> um, I literally felt like it's still, surely it's another two months away. Um, yeah, but we are at that time of the year again, and what a joy it is. Um, you can see if you go out and wander through the shops, uh, they've, it seems like the shops sometimes are more aware of it than what we are, um, but obviously for different reasons. Uh, it's commercial and it's money-making time, um, but hopefully for us, as we just settle ourselves here in the space for this brief moment, that it realigns us with uh, what we are really doing, why we are coming together at this time of year in particular, and why our voice should sound a little bit different to perhaps what the world is putting out there. Um, what we are doing, and it might seem strange to you that we are turning to Genesis as a start for a Christmas series, because there is no manger in sight, uh, there is no single star kind of summoning the Magi, um, there's no shepherds. Well, there's probably shepherds or so around. But there is, uh, it's peculiar. Often we will want to start closer to the Jesus story, the birth of our Messiah. But it is so important for us as we come to this time of year to get a glimpse at the entire picture. For us to turn to, to just the story of Jesus' birth uh, as Paul Tripp helpfully puts, it is like stepping into the middle of a movie and expecting to know what is going on. Um, and he further makes a, his comment by saying, and often we do that and think we do. And I think the danger is that we want to get to the point really quickly, but I think it is so crucial that we see the entire picture. 
Now, it's difficult to paint that entire picture in one talk, uh, and for that matter, in three talks. But as we turn to this message of the coming Messiah, we need to first ask the question, why? Why is it so important that we need to know about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ? So the first question really puts forward to us uh, the necessity to answer it and to find out what the predicament is. And so this talk this morning is basically titled The Predicament. Now, all of you already have an idea in mind because we've kind of, we go through these things, we go through the motions of the Bible, and so you immediately have ideas of what the predicament is. But it's important to state it. It's important to just zoom in and focus, not only on the fact that man has fallen, very early on in Genesis, man falls, humanity is given over to decay, to death, as they indulge in sin and wickedness. But also, there's a deeper thing that we need to look at. So it's easy to say there's a fall. That's, that's the easy answer. But to look far deeper at why is this such a problem? Why is the fall of humanity, this entering into the mire of sin, such a predicament? Why is it such a problem? I mean, if we had to go around and do a questionnaire, uh, not hopefully just in our church, I think broader, we'll get a slightly more varied answer. But I think a lot of people would be very comfortable to live as they are currently living. Without the concern of what they're doing right or wrong, when you look around you, there is a sense of morality, but a very weak sense of righteousness and justice in line with who God is. And hopefully this passage this morning is going to just help us to realign with what is this righteousness and this justice that God has for humanity and his desire for humanity. So this may sound similar to kind of what we were looking at with Micah. And it's a fantastic springboard. If you really want to get a sense of a springboard is Micah tackles so much of this dynamic. And so we looked at that for the last six weeks. And Micah really sets us up for the coming Messiah, fantastically. Um, and this is kind of just summarizing some of these issues and these concerns throughout history as we come to the Messiah. Let's turn to Genesis 6 again and just get a glance, get a feel of what is happening here. Verse 1, it says, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever. They are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Let's just pause there. God's words, as he speaks Then in verse 3, my spirit will not contend with humans forever. God is not content with dealing with a human race that is anything but perfect. God is not content with anything other than perfection. And so when he looks at humanity, he sees just that sense of immorality brokenness, wickedness. 
and God will not contend with it. He will not compete with it. He will not put up with it. For they are mortal. This phrase is an interesting phrase just to pick up. There is a sense of highlighting the finiteness of humanity in the face of God's infiniteness. God is infinite. Humankind are finite. Mortal. We are created by God. He is the one that shapes us. He is the one that creates us. And He is not content with an imperfect creation. It's a simple kind of thing just to think about. When you, if you are handy and crafty and you like to make stuff, when you make something and you take a step back, whether it is physically making something with your hands, whether it is designing a program, whatever it may be, maybe it's writing something, when you are done with it and you take a step back, what do you desire to see? Because often what we create is partly a reflection of ourselves. We put our hearts into it. We put our who we are into it. And when you take a step back, you hope to see something that is next to perfect. I know as person personally, as an artistic person, when I paint something or create something and I take a step back and I don't see that it's perfect, I want to tweak it. I want to keep getting it to where it needs to be. And often the ironic thing is an artist is never satisfied. Uh, Maybe that's part of how God created a lot of us to know that he is not easily satisfied with anything other than perfection. When God looks at humanity, he says, I'm not going to contend with this brokenness forever. For you are mortal. You are my created beings. And therefore he numbers their days. Verse 4 carries on, and we're not going to get into the details of that, but just get a further picture of it. It says, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old men of renown. It really is just a world that is upside down. There is chaos, there is disorder, and this is really just showing the depth of depravity that this world is in. But verse 5, we want to begin to zoom in a little bit closer. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. Hear that again. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's heavy. (laughs) That is massive. I mean, we want to look at it from our perspective and say, no, it's not that bad. I mean, it's bad. When we look out into the world, the world is a rough place, but surely not that bad. Surely it's not all the time that it's that wicked. 
And in this context, God looks in and he says that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is the predicament. Our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. We may be living thousands of years from this point, but it doesn't mean that much has changed. Not much has changed in the context of the fact that we still are broken. We have a sense of brokenness in us. Often we recognize that more for those that don't yet call on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. But there is the predicament that was in the hearts of these individuals is the same predicament in our hearts until we call upon Jesus Christ as Lord. Until there is a massive shift in our hearts, this is our predicament. This is our reality. Our hearts are inclined to evil. And if you want to put it to the test, just stop focusing on God for a while. Just think about yourself a little bit more. Cut yourself off from things. You may begin to see that desire, that predisposition in our hearts creeping up. Verse 6. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. I just want to pause there, because now as we read this, it feels like God despised the fact that he made human beings. It's a bit of a complicated word. Um, The regretted word there has a massive semantic range. It has a number of different ways of interpreting it and understanding it. It can go from feeling sorry to finding comfort, just to show you the, the range from one extreme to the other. But as you zoom in on this, as it says, the Lord regretted, perhaps a better way of understanding it is it can also imply had pity. It can also imply he was sorry. But for what sake would he pity and for what sake would he have sorrow or be sorry in his heart? It is because of the necessity for humanity to measure up to his righteousness. See, when God looks at his creation and he sees the brokenness, when he sees the wickedness, his heart is filled with pity and sorrow for what needs to take place in order for them to be transformed and saved. There is an immense sacrifice that is needed when, pre- when perfection needs to be introduced, when righteousness needs to be introduced, when sanctification needs to be introduced. There is always a price. 
And when God looks at humanity in the state that they were in here in Genesis, he sees the humankind, the race of humanity that needs to perish because of that brokenness. And it breaks his heart. God doesn't desire to just wipe out people for the sake of wiping out people. God looks at them and notice what he says, or what it says. In the second half of verse 6. And his heart was deeply troubled. If it didn't, if humanity didn't mean anything to him, his heart wouldn't be troubled. But it's because humanity, image bearers of him, is not measuring up to his righteousness, his justice, his goodness, his perfection. And for that, his heart is troubled because he wants the best for humanity. Verse 7, So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Same word there. One wants to maybe ask, and we won't go into the detail of that, why, why the animals too? Why, I mean, the animals, what did they do? Well, the animals are affected because it was our responsibility to look after them. They have suffered at the hand of humanity as well. The very creatures that God has put us in charge of has to suffer because of our failure. Everything suffers because of us. It's tough. This is our brokenness. This is our predicament. There's a little, 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 little glimmer of hope, though, in this passage. Verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If you want to just skip halfway through verse 9, Noah was a righteous man. That is how God saw him. This is what God is looking for. God is looking for a glimmer of righteousness. A glimmer of hope in the human race. So as we start this Christmas series, just thinking about who Jesus is, you start to see where this is all rooted in. This is the beginning of the story of the coming Messiah, the one who would save the world, save this broken world, our broken world, destined for death. The Messiah comes as the true righteous one, the true one who can save humanity. I mean, the irony of the story is you can keep reading and see what happens with Noah after he gets off the ark. I mean, it, it goes south very quickly. And then you wonder, God, was he really that righteous? But even there, from one end of the story to the other end, you see that even in the heart of what seemed to be a righteous man, there was still imperfections. 
And yet God used him. All the way through the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you see how God uses the broken and the imperfect to bring about the perfect one. But this is our predicament. I want us to just soak in it for a moment because when we feel the gravity and the weight of how far we are from this level of righteousness that God desires, we really get to sense, we really get a sense and a feeling for what Jesus Christ has come to do. That he stepped into the world among men whose hearts were solely focused on wicked things. Whose every inclination and every thought was just wicked. Jesus stepped into this world. And he said, I'm going to die for you. It doesn't matter how wicked your thoughts are, how deceived your hearts are. I'm stepping in because I want to set things right. So my father is the creator of all of you. And he wants to marvel at his creation. But when he looks at it right now, it is broken. And he's filled with sorrow and troubled. It is God that can make a masterpiece out of something as broken as this. As you're sitting here, know that you are part of that masterpiece that he is creating in and through his son. I know it is difficult to sit and hear how wicked we are. But to know how righteous, how perfect, how good our Savior is. And that when God looks at us, he sees his son. He sees that salvation, that cover of Christ over our lives. So when we think about Christmas, when we, whether it's sitting at the Christmas tree later in the year, or whether it is just reflecting on what's happening in the shops or on TV, I really pray that you may weigh up the real value of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and what he came to do when he entered this world. As the weeks and as the next two weeks unfold, we're going to kind of progress with the story and look a little bit more at how the story goes. But this is the starting point. There is a predicament. And when we come to Christmas, we can't see a Messiah without the predicament. Because what was his purpose if not to come and deal with this? That is why he came. And to really appreciate him all the more, we need to feel that. We need to see that. So what a joy it is to be able to celebrate Jesus Christ. That he came into this world. Part of God's incredible plan. From the very beginning. To set things right. To be the one who brings us up to the right measure that God has for us. God's measure is perfection, and without Christ, we cannot meet that requirement. And Christ came to do that for us. Let us not undermine the incredible incarnation of Jesus Christ 
this time of year and what we are celebrating. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that as we turn to the busy season, the silly season, that we may really see your hand of grace, your hand of mercy, your love, your desire for perfection, and the fulfillment of your Son in this time of year. Everything else aside, all the busyness and the things around it, Father, I pray that you will help us in our hearts to really be able to sense that deep, joyful appreciation of the gift that you have given that surpasses any gift that we can receive this year. That is the gift of Jesus Christ. His mercy, His love. And Father, to admit with humility that we are weak, broken, fallible. May it not be a burden for us, but a setting free as we are able to give up and hand over to you that reality and receive more fully the grace of Jesus Christ. So Father, we really pray that this this year, right now, that this may permeate into our hearts and that we may celebrate your Son and that he came into this world to save. Thank you, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 